My dad died. I miss my friends because of- I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? My uncle abused me. The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. So, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the Morning Meeting Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I, um, you know, I'm currently uh, displaced a little bit. I, I resided in Boston and then at the beginning of COVID left and have been, you know, kind of bouncing around, you know, to visit uh, family and just you know kind of separated from all that but I I do uh, live in Boston um, you know I went to college out there uh, got a bachelor's in psychology um, you know was uh, you know I wanted to pursue my doctorate I wanted to get a PsyD become a psychologist and you know help others with you know either mood disorders or or uh, trauma related uh, illnesses and you know I did have uh, our son my wife and I had our son in college um, so that kind of put everything on hold. So I'm currently a recruiter, uh, about to start a new role with uh, with Citibank down in Florida uh, as our AVP on their capital markets team. But yeah, hopefully, you know, I do get to get back to psychology someday. I hope so. I assume that uh, there's a reason. You know, I always say that there's a reason why all of us end up where we do. What sure. brought you to psychology? Yeah, sure. So I was definitely a pretty wild child and, you know, hung out with, you know, all kinds of characters. And, you know, I, I saw a lot of people struggle with mental illness, both myself and in my family and all with my friends as well. So I thought, you know, that pursuing a degree in psychology, you know, and a graduate degree in psychology would be a great opportunity to try to help adolescents and young adults who struggle with varying mental illness. Um, and, you know, really give them an opportunity to find the best situation for themselves. Good for you. It's nice when you've uh, gone through something and you uh, you come out of it thinking that, you know, you've learned something and can help others. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your story, your earlier life. Uh, sure. You, know, you mentioned some struggles that you went through, so maybe you could talk a little yeah. bit about that. Absolutely, yeah. You know, so I grew up in a household of four. I just have one a uh, younger sister and you know both my parents are still together um so we grew up you know down in new jersey over in union county you know my sister and i were both victims of ongoing sexual abuse for about a dozen years or so with family members outside of our household and so it was a pretty you know chronic issue that lasted about 12 years from me you know and my mom also you know suffered that abuse from you know some of the similar family members and um you know so it was a kind of tumultuous household growing up um it was a lot of fighting and blaming and outbursts and you know poor behavior uh for both myself and my sister and you know my mom as well you know so i i you know all kind of came to a head when i was about 12 you know i lost my grandfather uh, my father's dad uh, who I was extremely close to, and also simultaneously, we stopped, you know, seeing some of the the family members who have been, you know, abusing people in my household, and you know, my cousins as well. And my mom sought treatment, and uh, that's where it kind of came to a head. I was, you know, erratic and all 
place. I mean, doing drugs, drinking, smoking, you know, lighting fires, having sex, you know, really uh, doing a lot as early as 12 years old. And then when I kind of rose through middle school, you know, I was just engaging in all kinds of risk behavior. I mean, you know, when I was 13, I was, you know, arrested kind of, I mean, as much as you can be arrested at 13 for, you know, joyriding in my parents' car and just kind of, you know, seeing some of the consequences that come with poor decision-making. And then, you know, when I got to high school, I became very depressed and, you know, hardly made it through freshman year of high school and um, became very aggressive and violent and trying to basically combat the world, you know, that I believe was trying to get me basically and I wanted to be the loudest one in the room the most dangerous one in the room so basically you don't know whatever mess with me and uh and that carried on through um about until you know through high school but um when I was a sophomore in high school I was sent to a world in this program in Idaho for about a month thought it was going to be transformative it really wasn't I just kind of came back worse than ever and that kind of you know led me to towards the end of uh, junior year about you know March or so I went back to the same wilderness program and then you know moved from one residential treatment center to the next you know over the course of a year and a half until basically I was I was expelled from the last uh, program for you know having an altercation with one of the people that lived there which led me to when I was about 18 and you know still very reckless you know doing all kinds of you know nonsense making poor decisions and you know eventually led to you know pretty in-depth amount of drug use um you know it became a lover of cocaine i mean who wouldn't and uh and you know ended up in going to rehab um pennsylvania and that's kind of where i started to shift and turn around mm-hmm. and you know learn how to make better decisions and um, i lived out in pennsylvania for about six months and then came back to New Jersey uh, where I enrolled in community college, um, you know, started dating someone who was very positive for me, who was an academic, who helped me see the importance of, you know, academia and, and furthering, you know, those types of goals to mm-hmm. kind of set yourself up for success. And then when I was about 21, you know, I left and moved to the Boston area to go to college. Um, and that, you know, led me to, you know, meeting my wife, having my wonderful son <laughs> um, and kind of, you know, where I am now. Wow. That's a lot that you just shared in a, sure. in a very short amount of time. Um, I want to just dissect a little bit of that, if that's okay. Yeah. Did you ever think as, you know, maybe during the abuse, did you know that, like, that was wrong, that, you know, you were a victim? Yeah, I think I was, I mean, you know, pretty young. And I, I mean, my parents will tell you that, like, before middle school, I was a very good kid. I was a respectful kid. And, you know, I think that... You know, although, you know, I'm sure on some level I knew it was wrong as, you know, many victims of any kind of abuse do, they kind of think it's their fault and, you know, I didn't vocalize it to anyone. You know, so I think that that's kind of where I was at. I don't think that, um, you know, I really had a strong opinion on whether, you know, it was okay or not. I I just knew that, you know, it was important that I didn't like, you know, I guess... I just tell anyone because I had a fear of, you know, getting in trouble in the situations. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to get in trouble. Right. So did you think that was, like, happening to other kids, too? Or did you think that this was just something that happened in your own family? I was in various situations where, you know, there were, you know, kids who weren't me, you know, who weren't in my family, rather, sorry, involved, um, you know, kids in the neighborhood, kids I didn't know, um, a lot of, you know, 
not great situation. Okay. So I was very well yeah. aware that it was going on elsewhere. So many kids think that they are alone and that they're the only ones that this is happening to. So it is interesting that you were aware, very much aware, that other kids were going through similar things. Lots of kids, maybe not as young as 12, but, you know, lots of kids experiment with drugs and, you know, lots of risky behaviors. In adolescence, I think there's some, you know, normalcy to that. It sounds like you were doing it probably younger and, you know, to a much larger extent than most, most teenagers would. I mean, when I was about 12, I was only interested in doing the most outrageous, you know, insane activities, you know, and, and to that point, when I was, you know, about 13, I mean, you know, as early as 12, I was going into New York by myself to hang out on St. Mark's and, you know, St. Mark's has definitely cleaned up a lot over the past decade or more, but, you know, at the time, I mean, it was filled with bong shops and tattoo kiosks and, you know, people ODing in the park, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and by St. Mark's, I mean, it was like a very different place. And I was only interested in kind of that outrageous lifestyle. And so it was kind of like that, you know, was something that was important to me. And also it was kind of an escape. It was like, if I felt this thrill, I wouldn't feel anything else. I mean, you know, I was like, I was doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, when I was 13, I had never known anyone to sneak out of their house and I decided, hey, like it's, you know, I want to sneak out. Who wants to sneak out with me? And we befriended someone in the neighborhood and we used to sneak out every night together and we would, you know, do hooligan shit. We would drink, you know, entire bottles of Robitussin. We would snort Ambien. We would hang out on the roof of this elementary school and set fires and, you know, do all kinds of stuff, you know, just really, you know, risky, outrageous behavior. And it wasn't, you know, like I was receiving some sort of, you know, strange pleasure from doing things like setting fires. It was just so outrageous. You know, that just gave me a thrill. You know, yeah. I mean, obviously, those are all behaviors that died, you know, by the time I was at the, towards the end of high school. You know, that led all the way up until even after I stopped using drugs. I mean, I would, you know, take my car down a giant hill at 75 miles an hour in a residential neighborhood and launch it over the main road, you know, and launch my car three, 400 feet across, you know, the road into another street, you know, just for the heck of it. You know, it was like, I was always seeking this thrill because if I felt this thrill, it was like, I felt nothing else, you know? Mm -hmm. Wow. You're using the word thrill, but that's really significant. Like, how do you replace that with some other healthier tool? It's, it's interesting. I don't, you know, I, I definitely lust after that thrill, you know, even in present day, but I don't go looking for it. I, I think that, you know, one of the things is, is like, I remember being 17 years old, turning 18 and, you know, waking up on my 18th birthday thinking, I didn't think I'd make it this far, you know? So I, you know, I always felt like I would die before every next birthday because I never thought I would make it to the next year. And, you know, so I kind of believe that, but also live dangerously and kind of, I guess, you know, was begging to, you know, not really make it, I guess. You know, I think, you know, it was a bunch of anger and depression that, you know, fueled all that. Um, but I think now, you know, ever since I got to college and, you know, even before, you know, I met my wife and had my son and stuff, I, you know, realized how much I had to lose and how uh, wonderful my situation was being in college and, you know, doing something, you know, decent with my life for a change. It's, you know, I had a lot to lose and I was, I, I had become very terrified of, of losing that, you know, whether it be by death or, you know, other, you know, more permanent consequences. So like, despite the fact that I love that thrill, you know, there are still places that I can go to find, you know, a, a thrill without, 
putting myself in dangerous situations. Mm -hmm. You said that it all sort of started to turn around for you before you left for college. But I assume that college also was, it's a big transition for any young adult. So how did you cope with the, the big change of, you know, leaving and going on campus and, and then not, you know, not having any supervision? Sure. I mean, well, like I said, I was about 21 at the time. And, you know, and I also, I mean, whether it was in a residential treatment center or living in Pennsylvania, I lived on my own before. So, you know, I've been away from my family, you know, for years, right. you know, so I, a lot of people that I know and just friends from high school and stuff had a hard time, you know, adjusting to being on their own and, you know, not knowing how to handle certain things because they didn't really know how to do it in the past either. So that's a pretty tough transition to be on your own. It was not tough for me to transition mm -hmm. to somewhere else, you know, being on my own. And also I spent a lot of time you know, in the hardcore punk scene throughout my life. And you know, I knew people when I came up to Boston and the hardcore punk scene has always been extremely welcoming, you know, so I had friends up here when I came up here um, in that scene that kind of took me around and showed me the ropes. And, you know, it was, it was really helpful. And then time went on in college, you know, it's a, uh, about the second semester of freshman year, you know, I started making, you know, friends that I hung out with regularly. And by the beginning of sophomore year, I had a solid group of about, you know, six, you know, there were six of us and, you know, we hung out together all the time and they were all groomsmen at my wedding. And, you know, so I definitely, uh, you know, had the ability to build relationships. And I've also, you know, always been kind of a social butterfly. So, you know, I have no problem talking to people and making friends and, you know, doing that stuff. So that aspect was not difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that college really became difficult until I, you know, basically started, you know, having flashbacks again in, in, um, in junior year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe it was actually late sophomore year, actually, and uh, and you know started to you know try to figure out what was going on. I I started going to therapy, and that was really difficult. I mean, I spent you know probably the next year uh, pretty uh, pretty incapacitated. I mean, I was able to do things like continue with the powerlifting team at school and continue to you know help run the billiards team. But you know, other than that, whether you know if I wasn't going to class or participating in one of my you know clubs. I basically just laid in bed for you know 16 hours a day so it was, that was that was pretty tough and i think that because you know i had that experience and you know i was you know with uh with you know who's now my wife at the time it really helped uh, because i was able to lean on her and she was amazing throughout the whole process and you know really helped as much as she could and you know and that i think that you know really helped us Kind of push our relationship along. I mean, I, you know, it was one of those things is when I met her, I just, I kind of knew that she was the one when I met her <laughs> and, and it, and it turned out that, you know, she was as great as I thought she was, Aww. you know, so, um, but yeah, I think that's like, that was the tough part I had in college. It wasn't, and obviously having a kid in college is not too easy either, <laughs> but, but that's, that was really the difficult part. I didn't really have a hard time transitioning to, you know, to college. I mean, I will say, you know, I know obviously this, you know, this podcast is about mourning and, you know, I definitely, you know, lost a fair amount of friends from different parts of my life, you know, throughout college. I mean, I lost my, also my grandmother, you know, right before sophomore year of college. So, you know, I did suffer a lot of loss and it was kind of difficult because I had basically created this whole new persona for myself, you know, and um, it was kind of hard to uphold that, you know, while also wanting to kind of revert back to dangerous behavior. So, right. I mean, it was, that was, you know, I don't know if that's so much as a transition as more, you know, it was more so just like something I had to deal with in college and figure out how to, you know, take care of myself and, 
will not revert back to a past that would scare most people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It sounds like had a great girlfriend, uh, now wife. Right. Um, and that probably was a really great protective factor for you to make sure that you got through. And it sounds like you also went to therapy. I kind of just went to therapy as much as I could. So I was doing three or four days, uh, three or four days a week, you know, with my psychologist and kind of just like attacking all, you know, memories and emotions and all that stuff is the trauma. And, um, and I think, you know, that was really helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, we definitely did a fair amount of EMDR um, and she's, you know, really an awesome woman too. So, I mean, it helped to be able to converse with her, you know, not only about the trauma, but also just, you know, random things like, you know, similar music interests like the Smiths or Echo and the Bunnymen and stuff. Right. So it was, it was really a, a good fit and it kind of just worked out. It's great. Um, Can you so, just tell everyone what EMDR is, how that works? Yeah, so EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. Um, and basically, um, you utilize bilateral stimulation, you know, while, you know, kind of, you know, I would liken it to like meditating, you know, you close your eyes or you don't, but you kind of let the mind wander and you, you know, go through the memories and you can also use it to, you know, create a skill a skill set to kind of combat, you know, the unwanted, you know, flashbacks or images or, you know, emotions that are associated with it. Yep. I've heard it's a very effective technique to use with trauma. Thanks for sharing that. So it sounds like therapy as well as, you know, at least one stable human being in your life really helped you get through. Right. Yep. Do you think there are other things that either you didn't take advantage of while you were in college or you wish were available to you that, you know, you weren't able to find? So, so basically, you know, what happened is I had a therapist, you know, when coming to college to kind of, you know, maintain some of the work I had done in the past. And, you know, she referred me to this, to the, my current psychologist. And, you know, so I was really set up, you know, with my psychologist when I started going through this, Um, you know, so I didn't do a lot of outreach to the school regarding like, know some of the resources they had on campus you know therapists or psychologists I personally you know don't have much to say about what the university has to offer I mean I do know they offer you know various groups you know for people to kind of come together and you know talk about what's going on you know within an academic community I I will say that you know maybe it would have been helpful you know for me to you know, either attend a group with, with people who are, you know, victims of abuse or, you know, possibly grieving during, you know, some of the other times. Yep. I was kind of up and down about the, about attending groups. I, you know, sometimes, you know, just didn't want to share anything with anyone, you know, and then, you know, when I did want to share things with people, I, I mean, as someone who spent years in residential treatment centers, lockdown treatment centers, you know, I know the kind of bonds that are formed, you know, with people who are kind of all struggling and I didn't really want to enter into a situation like that. Okay. Um, you know, so I was kind of, you know, based on my own experience with, you know, having groups like that with other, you know, traumatized people, I, you know, I didn't want to kind of subject them to my own garbage and my own, you know, poor way of thinking. And I, I thought that wouldn't be fair for anyone. Okay. So. And it sounds like maybe you thought you didn't want to absorb their trauma either. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's an interesting point because sometimes we think you should be with other people who have gone through something similar, but sometimes that's actually not that helpful. Right. And I, and I think like, you know, obviously my experience at RTCs with other, you know, people with 
uh, you know, trauma. I, I, I formulated that opinion, but also, you know, growing up in a household where three out of the four people living there all had trauma, it's, it's a very difficult relationship sometimes. And, you know, I didn't know if I could handle, you know, the kind of rise and fall of that kind of relationship, you know, outside of my family. So how were your, how was your family like in college when you were away? Like you mentioned that your grandmother died and you experienced other losses. Yeah, so I, I will say that, um, you know, my relationship with my dad, you know, definitely became stronger um, when I got to college. We, you know, were talking all the time. We built a really strong relationship that we kind of didn't have um, after I started middle school. So um, that was really positive. You know, I didn't talk to my mom as much um, until, you know, I started, you know, dealing with my own trauma. And, you know, that was, you know, a pretty rocky relationship. You know, I definitely spent a lot of time being pissed off at her, you know, blaming her for everything that happened, you know, seeing as the majority of it came from, you know, her side of the family, you know, so it was definitely pretty rocky. And, you know, my sister had definitely distanced herself quite a bit. You know, so I didn't talk to her a whole lot either. So, you know, the family life was definitely difficult. When we would get in the same room for things like holidays and everything, it was, it was just an interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think that my sister and I were both really struggling, and we would fight one day and then you know team up against my mom on the next. Um, so it was just a very difficult and just kind of disturbing mm-hmm. uh, family dynamic through the whole mm-hmm. thing. How are you guys now? I mean, we're pretty okay. Um, you know, I think that right now it's uh, it's actually a pretty difficult time. My dad was just diagnosed with Alzheimer's a few days ago. So I think that, you know, my sister and I and my mom are, you know, working hard to support him. And, you know, my sister and I are trying to support my mom and kind of, you know, give her as much peace as she, you know, needs really because she's definitely really struggling with all this and coping in her own ways. And I think my sister is just struggling because she is kind of in denial on this for as far as me. I mean, I think that, you know, I'm really just struggling with the whole thing. Um, you know, it, it's uh, and it's difficult because it's not like they said, you know, your father will pass in six weeks. It's an ongoing thing where there's different stages and different reasons to grieve as the time goes on. And I think, you know, just the idea, like when I was talking to him earlier today, I mean, I talk to my dad daily and I think that one of the biggest struggles is I call him all the time just to shoot the shit and talk about nothing, you know? Yep. Um, but it's hard to, you know, understand that one day I won't be able to call him and do that. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, I mean, you talk about loss, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I I feel like I'm grieving a loss that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously over time, it's like different type of grief mm-hmm. um, as time goes on. Absolutely. I'm really sorry to hear that. Yeah. So what are you doing to take care of yourself now? Oh, you know, I'm I'm just doing what I can. I mean, I hang out with my son a ton and try to have fun with him. And, you know, he really is the light of my world. He's just so positive and you know, smiles and laughs and talks a million miles an hour. He's only two, you know, um, you know, teach him things that, that are exciting to me, you know, listen to the music that I loved growing up and, you know, still love now and just kind of teach him about all kinds of things. And, you know, we play games, you know, he takes his, you know, tyke car to, uh, to Dairy Queen frequently. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, so I really try to you know, be with him. And I think that, um, you know, I also try to spend a lot of time with my wife as well. And, 
you know and we just try to you know try to do things that that feel good mm -hmm. and you know just like feel positive you know whether it's just spending some time to you know run down to the the, the major city you know over here or you know just spend time together talking and laughing and kind of talking about nonsense mm -hmm. the way i do with my with my own friends from growing up mm -hmm. it's you know she really knows how to be supportive so so you know i we are with our in-laws right now mm -hmm. um so you know i just kind of throw myself into that you know whole system and hang out and just you know do whatever work needs to be done and just try to you know enjoy you know what i have around me right now mm -hmm. and, you know i mean look it's it's definitely difficult um you know i I kind of break down from time to time throughout the day, you know, but I just you know, try to lean on some people and try to figure some stuff out on my own, whether it's, you know, listening to music that's important to me or you know, just trying to take a load off. I, I'm using multiple things to kind of try to get through this. Time. Yeah, I feel like there's um, definitely a balance. I hear people say sometimes I just I'm keeping myself busy, which scares me a little bit. But, you know, also having that downtime, I think, is really important. It is, it's okay to think about it and to feel sad and to break down, you know, and then do other things that make you feel good. Are there other things that you felt like you wanted to talk about today? Yeah, so, I mean, I think, you know, given the nature of, you know, my relationships growing up, you know, drugs, you know, have taken a lot of, you know, friends from really many different groups I've hung out with. And, you know, I think, you know, I mean, you know, I recently had, you know, a close friend die of cancer. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's tough. You know, there are a lot of reasons people, you know, pass on. Um, you know, I don't think that it ever really gets easier. I think it's, I think it's important, you know, to be able to have those people you can lean on, those, those outlets that kind of make you feel positive during, you know, a dark time. I mean, I know when my grandma died, I, you know, was going to, you know, hardcore punk shows and doing front flips and running around and trying to enjoy myself as much as I could mm -hmm. um, to try to get out of it. And you're right, I think the downtime is important to kind of sit and reflect and, you know, really own those emotions. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, having a positive network that you can lean on. I mean, I know, aside from friends back home, I mean, while I was actually in college up in the Boston area, um, you know, I had a group of five guys that if I ever needed anything or they needed anything, they knew that they could call one of us or, you know, and we could go out and, you know, do whatever, whether it be shoot pool or go to a movie or grab a burger or something. You know, I always had that group of people that I could rely on to help me through that time. It's, uh, you know, I think the network is important. I think it's important to keep moving and to your point about like staying busy. I mean, and I think that's a difficult thing because, you know, what happens when you're, you know, running around like crazy for two weeks and then all of a sudden you have an hour break, you know, and you implode, yep. you know, it's because you're never, you know, taking the time to really reflect on, you know, what's actually going on within you. And I think, you know, there needs to be a balance of, you know, staying busy, doing things you enjoy, doing things you need to, that need to be done, you know, and also, you know, taking some time to kind of sit and feel those emotions Absolutely. you know because because if you don't take the time to feel them now you will feel, feel them later and that is you know obviously a pretty good guarantee yeah absolutely and it will also lead you back to things like unhealthy coping tools that you've relied on in the past well i think that you know one of the most important things to understand about the stay busy tactic is that if you're not working through it you're avoiding it you know and it's self to the bone but if you never address it or take time to think about it you know when you stop having that opportunity to avoid it you will feel all of it yeah. all at once yep. and the longer you wait the more it kind of builds up and the more you crumble yeah 
I always hate it when you tell somebody a story and then they say, oh, you're so amazing or, you know, whatever, because you just sure. because you went through something. But, you know, you really have fought your way back from a, a very dark place and it's quite inspiring. And I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, I, and I do appreciate that. And, you know, even, you know, your bestest friends, you know, they... You know, they have their own lives, too. And just because they can't talk right now doesn't mean they don't love you and that they're not going to be there in an hour or so to support you. And I think that's, you know, something that people need to understand as well. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that, too. Yeah. Well, thank you. I I really do appreciate you spending some time with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I hope you uh, get to your doctorate because I think you'll be very helpful to a lot of people one day. Thank you. (laughs) Good luck. Tune in next week for a special interview with Jilly Scheimer, a sophomore at the University of Maryland. Jilly lost a friend to suicide just over a year ago, and she talks about how that loss has changed her and how she managed to cope when she left for college. So that's all for now. Good morning to all of you.